You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Rehoboth. Good to see you guys. So good to be here. Love seeing you guys. And uh, Pastor Joel is on vacation today, so I get to hang out with you guys and give him a breather. And he's probably watching right now. So would you give Joel a big hand and his family, Stacy? Happy vacation. The newest member of their family is a hamster. They have a little hamster named Niblet. Uh, Nibbles, actually. Nibbles is his name. So you'll be hearing a lot about Nibbles in sermons, I'm sure. Lots of good stories already. But anyhow, thank you for letting me be with you today, and it's always an honor. I got to hang out here a few weeks ago while I was on vacation, just came and enjoyed the service, and it was so amazing, and the worship was so good. And I, I love Barry and the team and Rob and everybody. And I just got to hang out. I got to sit in the back and just enjoy the service. And uh, right behind me was Andy Mason and Logan with their dog. And uh, do you know that this campus has one distinct, uh, distinctive? You are the campus that has the most dogs in attendance. <laughs> Joel was getting ready to speak the other day, and he said a dog just came up and got in his lap on the front row. But there's dogs everywhere around here, so uh, I think you all are counting them. That's why your attendance is going up, so the dogs are being counted as well. But anyhow, hey, I want to say hello to the Fenwick Island campus and the Millsburg campus. Love you guys. And uh, that campus uh, poured into this campus 10 years ago. And would you give Fenwick Island and uh, Millsburg a big hand for their investment in Rehoboth? So you guys have just doing so good. You just celebrated 10 years, and I've been listening to the series, a 10-year series. It's just been amazing. Well, listen, I'm in a series at, at Millsboro and Femme McCallum. We've been talking this summer. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians, uh, and we're doing this series called Crazy Church People. And it's a really interesting series. What we like to do at Bayshore, we like to encourage people to read the Bible for themselves. And so some, some of our teaching is to give you a, sort of a structure so you understand what Scripture is about. So when you read the Bible, you can make sense of it yourself. So we've been looking at 1 Corinthians. And th- just a little bit of background, maybe uh, if you haven't followed that series at all. But the church of Corinth was a church that Paul established back in 60 AD and uh, about that time. And it was a city that was really, really a wild city. It was the Las Vegas of its day. And they were just wild. They were uh, promiscuous. There was a temple called uh, the Temple of Aphrodite on the Acropolis, the highest part of the city. I was in Corinth a few years ago just uh, doing some hiking and and sightseeing. And I'm up on the Acropolis, and I'm trying to find the ruins of the Temple of Aphrodite. And this young couple came up to me from Greece, and they wanted to know, you know where the Temple of Aphrodite was? And we're trying to find this temple. It was a temple dedicated to Aphrodite. Aphrodite was this temple, uh, this goddess of love. And uh, how they collected income for her uh, was that they had a thousand prostitutes that dwelt in that temple. And sometimes when you would make a sacrifice, part of the sacrifice was to engage in promiscuous, uh, promiscuous behavior with these prostitutes. Those prostitutes would come into the city at night and they would uh, you know, do their thing. And, and there were many sailors and people that came to that city. So it was a wild city. It was the Las Vegas of its day. And they had bumper stickers on the back of wagons in those days that said, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. 
So it was a wild, wild city. So Paul goes there and he preaches the gospel. There's no Christians in this city. Nobody knows Jesus in this city. He goes in this city and he preaches and he plants a church. And so these Christians that he's writing to have only been Christians about a year and a half and they know nothing. They have all these questions about how do you live the Christian faith? How do you walk out? How do you live in a secular, promiscuous society? And how do you, how do, you do that? How do you live for the Lord? And uh, they had questions about sex. They had questions about marriage. They had questions about uh, what do you do with these temples? They had questions about you know, all kinds of things, about lawsuits and how they related to each other. So I want to read to you today a little bit of chapter 9, the end of chapter 9. By the way, when you read the New Testament, the, you know, the chapter divisions are artificial. They really shouldn't be there because when the, uh, when the people you know, wrote the New Testament, Paul wrote the New Testament, he didn't put chapter 9, chapter 10. It was all together. In fact, they didn't even put spaces between the words because they were trying to say paper. So the words were all jammed together. There were no chapter editions. That was made in the 13th century. So when you read chapter 9 and chapter 10, really chapter 9, the end of chapter 9 goes with chapter 10. And let me read it to you. And it's very appropriate because it talks about the, the Olympics, which we're experiencing now. They had every other year in Corinth, they had this thing called the Isthmus Games. And uh, it was like an Olympics there. And Paul attended that. He watched these running races and all that. So he draws parallels between what he saw in culture to our Christian faith. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians 9.27, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They're very disciplined, in other words. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. In verse 1 of chapter 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual rock. And they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Although these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warning for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he also will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, if you were to read the whole thing, the whole uh, book of 1 Corinthians, what you would notice is, is that Paul has been challenging them. He's encouraging them, but he's challenging them. And sometimes Scripture encourages us, 
Sometimes it challenges us. Now, when you read 1 Corinthians, you know, he begins to challenge them a little bit. Challenge them about their faith. You know, these are, these are Christian people that know nothing, and they're trying to live in a secular culture, and they're trying to figure it out. And so he's challenging them. But when we get to chapter 10, he really he, he heats it up. He really, really puts the, puts the thumb on them. And I remember uh, years ago I read a book uh, called Winning Ugly. It's about tennis. I'm a tennis player. And Winning Ugly is a book written by Brad Gilbert. And Brad Gilbert is a famous tennis player back in the 80s, and he's a commentator now. And in the book Winning Ugly, he says that the first time he ever played Yvonne Lendl. Yvonne Lendl was a fam- famous tennis player in the 80s. Now, anybody know tennis. Anybody know who Avon Lendl was? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you know who Avon Lendl was. In the 80s, you know, he was, uh, he was the thing. In fact, he was in eight, uh, 1983, uh, he was number one in the world for 270 weeks straight. Great, great tennis player. He won the Australian Open twice. He won the French Open three times. He won the U.S. Open three times. Great, great player. 98, uh, 93 uh, single titles. Great, great guy. But so Brad Gilbert's a pretty good tennis player, but the first time he plays Yvonne Lendl, he's trying to play Yvonne Lendl, and uh, you know, he's, the, he's playing him in Hartford, Connecticut. It's 1983, first time he's ever played Yvonne Lendl, and he's in the match with him, the first set, and what he's experiencing is, you know, he's saying to himself, you know what, this isn't too bad. Yvonne Lendl is not hitting the ball too fast. This is not too bad. I thought he hit it much harder than this, and Brad Gilbert's feeling like, I'm doing so good. He's just hanging in there, and he's hanging in there, and he said, in the fifth game, in the fifth game, Avon Lindel ratches it up, and he starts whipping the ball, hitting the cover off the ball. I mean, he is hitting it really, really fast. And that was his strategy. His strategy was he would play 65 to 70% in the first four or five games, and then he would ratchet it up. When you think about 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul is just kind of hitting the ball easy to him. He's given them some challenges. He's, he's given them some things to think about. And then in chapter 10, he heats it up. He begins to really challenge them. Now, when you think about what's happening in chapter 10, there's a famous verse in this chapter that I have quoted. And maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, you've quoted and you've thought about it for a long time. And that is, the, that is uh, verse number 12, where it says, uh, it says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except which is common to man, and God is faithful. Now, I love that verse. How many are vaguely familiar with that verse? You've heard that verse before. If you've been a Christian, you've heard that verse before. I have to tell you that for my whole life, I've loved that verse, believed that verse, quoted that verse, memorized the verse, but I never really understand the context of that verse. I thought that verse was saying that if you get cocky, if you get proud, if you get a big head like it says in Proverbs, pride cometh before fall, then you're going to be in trouble. But this verse has nothing to do with pride. It, it's, it's, he's saying, be careful. If you think you're standing, be careful that you don't fall. He's not talking about pride. He's not talking about arrogance. He's talking about false security. Their false security. Now, here's their false security. Now, this is what they believed, and there are certain groups of people in Corinth that believe this. They believe, if I have been baptized, and if I take communion, then it doesn't matter how I live with my life. 
Because the context of this chapter is basically talking about warning about from the history of Israel. Israel had this history. He's drawing, Paul is drawing a parallel between Israel. Israel experienced the same thing that Christians experienced. They went through the Red Sea, which was a type of baptism. The people at Corinth had been baptized. They'd, they'd been baptized in water. When they heard Paul preach the gospel and they repented of their sins, they were baptized. So Paul was saying that the children of Israel, they went through a form of baptism like you do. The children of Israel had a, had a type of communion. They partook of manna that came down from heaven. They took a, partook of water from the rock, and it was a type of communion. The children of Israel, they celebrated communion just like the people uh, of Corinth did. So the people of Corinth had been baptized. The people of Corinth have, had experienced communion. And the people of Israel in type had experienced a type of baptism and were taking communion. But the point of Paul's message in chapter 10 is although they went through baptism, a type of baptism, the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt, although they took a type of communion, although the cloud was with them, although the Holy Spirit was with them, they did not make it into the promised land. So when he says... If you think you're standing, take heed lest you fall. He's saying that you've got to be careful that if you think you've been baptized and because you've been water baptized, because you've taken communion, that you can do whatever you want to, then he says, think again, because the children of Israel had a type of baptism, the children of Israel had a type of communion, and they didn't make it into the promised land. So in essence, what he says in chapter 10 is it does matter how we live after we become Christians. It does matter because the children of Israel did everything that we did, yet they never made it into the promised land. When I read this passage, chapter 10, where it says, if you think you're standing firm, what he's saying is, if you think you're okay because you've been baptized, if you think you're cool because you take communion, if you think you're cool because of all this happened, and you think it's indifferent to God what you do in your daily life, he said, that's not what is correct. He said, these things were written as warnings to us. So when I read chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, I thought I understand what, understood what the chapter meant, but the chapter really says something that is very alarming. And it says that there were certain sects of people in the Corinthian church that felt that there was no correlation between their Christian faith and their daily behavior. And that Paul was warning them that they had to uh, understand that the children of Israel give us a warning that these people started out with the faith. They were baptized. They went through communion. They had the cloud with them. But then when they got into the wilderness, you know, remember when uh, Moses went up on the, uh, the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and Aaron made the golden calf and they're worshiping the golden calf. Crazy story. Aaron, you know, he's, he's the, he, the typical, you know, blame shifter. Aaron, you know, comes, Moses comes down from the mountain. Aaron, the priest, you know, they got the golden calf. They're all wishing the golden calf. And Moses says, why did you make this golden calf for the, uh, for the Israelites? And Aaron says, I don't know. They gave me their earrings. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. That's what he said. <laughs> now, that's one of the funniest lines in Scripture. That, that boy is not connected with reality. But in the story... In the story, Moses is on the mountain getting the law, and it's written with the fingerprint, finger of God. 
and they're down there, they're, they're getting bored. You ever get bored? You get bored, you know, i got to do something. And so they made this golden calf, and they began to drink, and drink too much. There's nothing wrong with drinking, but they were drinking a whole lot. They were drinking. I mean, they were drinking and drinking, and they got drunk. And, and then it says they got into pagan revelry. And what that probably means is they were having a wild sex party. And the Lord judged them. And those people, although they had gone through the Red Sea, had a baptism. Although they had partaken of communion through manna, those people, it says in the most graphic, disturbing terms in the text, it says their bodies were scattered in the desert and they never made it to the promised land. So the point of the story is, the point of 1 Corinthians 10 is, is you can be baptized, you can have communion, you can have these experiences, but there, is, there cannot be a disconnect between our faith in Jesus and how we live in our daily life. Paul said it in Romans chapter 6. He said, shall we go on and sin that grace may, be, may abound? He says, heaven forbid. We've been baptized. And so the bottom line is, is grace is not giving us permission to sin. Grace has given us power to not to continue to sin. So it's a very important thing. Karen and I were riding our bikes the other day when we were on vacation. We, we, uh, we love to ride these bike trails around here, and there's a new trail that's fairly new uh, from partway to Georgetown to Lewis, the Georgetown Lewis Trail. If you've ridden that trail, it's amazing. It's asphalted. It's got benches. It's shaded. So Karen and I, you know, on vacation, we parked our, I parked my truck at the uh, at the Dollar General on uh, Route 9 there before you get to the trail. And then we rode our bikes to the trail, we got on the trail, and those wonderful shade trees, and it was just so wonderful. We're cruising along, we got our water, and we're just having a great time. We're talking, we're going down the trail, and there's all, the, all these people on the trail. And we rode all the way to the Lewis Library, and then we went in to, uh, into Lewis. And so where did we go when we got into Lewis from the trail? We went to King's Ice Cream. That's where we went. King's ice cream. Now, that's, that's amazing stuff right there. So we sat down there with all the other you know, people that are visiting here, Lewis uh, people that are visiting, and they said, uh, have you been to Lou's before? Uh, so I said, yes, I, I've been to Lou's many times, you know. But we're, re we're eating our, uh, our King's ice cream, and we're erasing the calorie reduction that we had achieved through our bike ride. But it was amazing, and then we got back on our bikes and we're riding uh, back down the trail, coming back. And we and, and I was so proud of Karen. She you know she doesn't do a lot of long rides, and she was doing so good. It was eight miles plus to get to the uh, uh, get to King's King's Ice Cream, and then we get down the trail. We're about two thirds down the trail, and she says, "I just can't go any any further. I just can't go any further." So I said, "No problem, honey." We'll, we pulled in this little place called the. Uh, the brimming, uh, it's the brimming horn. I don't know if you've ever been to the brimming horn. It's like a, it's a really odd place. It's like, a, there's, they like, they're Vikings that work there. It's like Vikings and they have beer there and they have barbecue. And so I left her there. There was a bunch of Vikings around there. <laughs> I didn't think it was probably the best thing to do, but that's where I left her right there. And uh, so 
I said, hey, I'll go get the truck. And so I got back on the trail. The trail runs right behind this. Got back on the trail. And as soon as I got on the trail, I didn't, I didn't realize how close we were to, to Route 9. It was, like, it was like 800 yards were there. And she almost made it to, to the road. And then I went down and, and I got back to pick her up. She said, you're back already. I said, honey, it was like 800 yards to the road. We're almost there. And she was so bummed out. She said, I almost ran, ran, rode 16 miles. I almost rode 16 miles. And so I tell everybody, she almost rode 16 miles, you know. <laughs> she almost rode 16 miles. But the thing was, she never, she never finished. She started, and my wife, I'm just, she's a superstar. I love her. But in our Christian faith, it's possible to start to get baptized, to get, you know, to get coming to church and to love Joel's preaching and to love the worship and to love the cool cups we give you and, and everything. It's, it's, it's really, really possible to do that and then to feel like there's this whole other world that we live in once we leave here. But Paul is teaching these Corinthians that it's possible to start the race. It's possible to get all, you know, fired up and he they heard Paul preach. Can you imagine that hearing Paul preach and they got all fired up for Jesus? But then when they walked into the streets of Corinth and they saw those prostitutes and they saw the bars and they saw everything that was around them and they just they just thought like this is doesn't matter. We can just do what we've always done. And Paul says not according to what the story of the Israelites were. There's a, he t- he quotes all these stories. And if you read chapter 10, he, he quotes the story about in Moab. He gives it in summary form. When the children of Israel were coming into Moab, they, there were these Moabite uh, women, and the King James says that they were, I can't even say what the King James says. It's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, in, in, pretty, pretty insensitive. Uh, they were fornicating with all these women. And the, and, and the Bible says that there was one man that got a Midianite woman and brought her to his tent in front of his family and was cohabitating with this woman right in front of his family. And Paul says that 24,000 of those people were judged and those people never made it to the promised land. And so Paul is connecting the dots between Corinth and Israel and us because it does matter how we live. Because we have been redeemed. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus. We have been born again of the Spirit of God from heaven. We have been forgiven of our sins. We've been cleansed of our sins. Christ, the righteous one of God, has, been, has given his redemptive sacrifice for us. We've received him. And so we have been called to be different people in a culture that is going in a different direction than we're going in. We're not to go in the same direction of the culture that's around us. We're to go in the opposite direction of the culture that's around us. And that's what the New Testament teaches New Testament teaches that we are to live distinctive, different lives. And you say, well, Pastor Danny, I cannot. Oh, my gosh, I cannot, I cannot resist temptation. I can't, I can't handle all the, all the vices in this world we live in and, and all the stuff you see on TV and all the stuff you see happening around you. You, you feel like you can't, you can't handle all that. Let me tell you something. There's nobody in this room. There's nobody in this room that can live a holy, righteous Christian life by yourself. 
It takes the Holy Spirit to do that. You remember the story in Matthew chapter 14 where Peter walks on the water. Jesus is, you know, the disciples are out in the Sea of Galilee, little little sea. It's really a lake. They call it a sea in the Bible, but it's a 13 miles long. It's shaped like a harp. And they're out in the middle of this, this lake, and, and, the, and the storm comes up, and the disciples are afraid, and they see Jesus walking on the water. And he said to the disciples, Don't be afraid, it is I. And Peter says to them, Peter says to Jesus, says, Jesus, if it is you, bid me come. Lord, if it's really you, help me to walk on the water. Now, if that was me, I wouldn't have done that. I said, Lord, if that's you, see if John can walk on the water. You know? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have volunteered. I'd like, I've been looking down. I wouldn't be looking at that. Peter said, if that's you, bid me to come walk on the water. And Peter pulled his leg over that boat. And the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus helped him to do what he could not do on his own. And he began to walk in a way that was supernatural. He began to walk on the water. And God can help you to do what you cannot do on your own. Say it with me. God can help me to do what I cannot do on my own. And he started walking on the water, God helping him to do what he could not do. But then he got his eyes off Jesus, and he began to get his eyes off Jesus, and he began to sink. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me. And the Lord reached down and lifted him up and restored him, and they walked back to the boat. How many know that's a wonderful picture of the Christian life? You're walking, the Lord helps you to do what you cannot do. And then how many have ever got your eyes off Jesus for a little minute? You got your eyes off, and you start going down the wrong path. You get back in that addiction. You get back looking at that stuff you shouldn't look at. You, get, you t- start doing things you shouldn't do, and, you, and you're beginning to sink. And here's the thing. There's a a big difference between you know making up your mind hey i don't care what the bible says i don't care what jesus says i'm going to do whatever i want to there's a big difference between that and somebody really trying to follow jesus and they and they mess up and they fall and they stumble and when you mess up and fall and stumble his mercies are new every single morning can you say a big amen, amen. his mercies are new every time you sin but your heart your passion is not how much can i get away with your passion is Lord Jesus, I want to be more like you. I want to be righteous. I want to be holy. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I want, to, I want to be a different kind of person. I don't want to live like this culture. I want to live distinctively, and you're going to help me. And when you sin and when you mess up, his mercies are new every day. I was enjoying watching Bing play the drums here this morning in the band. Bing's one of my favorite people here. He's a, I just love him, appreciate him. He's playing those drums. He's out there bound, you know, and he's and I, I know he's pretending he's got long hair and he's flipping his hair about. <laughs> he's imagined like he was when he was 18, you know. We know it's all it's all an illusion, but anyhow, he's like there. And and he drops one of the drumsticks. Did you see that? I'm on the front row, he drops one of the drumsticks. Well, I was gonna go get it for him, but he just grabbed another drumstick. He started kept playing again. And you know, when you mess up and you sin, how many have messed up and sinned since you become a believer? Would you just raise your hand? When you mess up and you sin and you drop your drumstick, 
pick up another one and get going again and serve the Lord because the Lord loves you. But we are not a people that say, hey, it doesn't matter what I do. It's all covered. I'm going to go to church, empty my sin bucket, and I'm going to go fill it up again. We don't live that way. We're called to live like Jesus in a culture because I have been designed by God and you have been designed by God to live a righteous and holy life, a life of obedience to the Lord, not a life of disobedience. And when I live a life of obedience to the Lord, a life of righteousness, I am never more happy. I'm never more fulfilled than I'm living in righteousness and obedience to the Lord. That's what makes me happy. When I'm walking with Jesus and I'm following him and I'm trying to walk in righteousness, I feel his pleasure. I feel joy inside because I was created not to live in disobedience. I was created to live in righteousness. And when I live in righteousness, I find my greatest fulfillment. Karen, I used to have these... uh, these dogs, we had Labrador dogs, and we had a, a yellow lab named Sonny, and we had a black lab named Mac, and uh, Mac was a big old black lab, and he, we called him Mac because he was like a Mac truck. He'd just run into you, and he was just, he, you know, we'd be walking him in the woods, and he'd come up behind Karen, just run, and just almost run, knock her down. And Sonny was just happy, you know, and so, but these labs, we'd take them walking, but whenever we took them, whenever we took them to the, uh, to the lake or we took him to the ocean. We had a, a pond not too far from where we live, Ingram's Pond, and we would take him to that, uh, that pond and let him out of the, out of the car. And they'd run to that water and they'd jump in. And those dogs were never more happy and more fulfilled when they were in the water. Mac would he'd swim way out in the middle. We didn't know if he'd ever get him back. He was way out there in the lake because he was made. He was made for water. You've been made for obedience to Jesus. You've been made for righteousness. And when you are living righteous, you are walking in the way that God designed you. So we love these dogs. We lost them. They went off and we never, we don't have any more dogs. I want a dog. I ask Karen for a dog all the time. Can I have a dog? She says, no. Um, I ask her like once a month. I'd love to have a dog. No, we're not getting a dog. You're not going to have a dog. And then I said to her the other day, I said, you know, what would happen if I, if I went and just got a dog and brought it home? What would happen? <laughs> she said, uh, maintaining two residencies is really expensive. That's what she said. But, <laughs> but say, this, say this with me. I have been made for righteousness and it does matter what I do when I leave here Holy Spirit can help you He can help you, can make you into what the Lord wants to make you into, let me read a, a little message I got this week on Messenger from somebody and uh, I asked this guy if I could could share his message and uh, I'm doing it incognito, I'm not going to let you know who it is or any of the any of the uh, facts about it, but this guy, one, what I do at the Bay, uh, the Bayshore Millsport campus is, you know, of course I preach and do my thing, but uh, I volunteer and I serve in the parking lot. I love the parking lot ministry. I just love greeting people when they come in. So that's what I do. And this guy uh, comes every week, and he's got this girl he brings with her, and beautiful girl, and he comes and and uh, this guy's a weightlifter, really great guy, and uh, I just think a lot of him and uh, just think the world of him. And I've been missing him; I haven't seen him for like three or four weeks, and he wrote me this message. He said, hey, Pastor Danny, I just want you to know that I'm doing well and walking in my faith with Jesus Christ. 
The reason why I haven't been going to Bayshore is because, and he names his girlfriend, his girlfriend broke up, my girlfriend broke up with me recently due to me wanting to pursue my faith and her not liking some of the hard truths and realities that conflict with cultural norms. It has been too painful for me to go back on my own. Currently, I'm going to a small church, and he names the town, with my mom and dad and brother. I've also been going to a young adult group at, and he names this church, on Wednesday nights. Breaking up, and he names his girlfriend, has definitely been one of the hardest things I've gone through. But I know this, but I know this is God's will because it says in Scripture to not be unequally yoked. My faith in Christ has never been stronger than it is right now. The Lord has rained down so much grace on me. I watch your teachings on YouTube regularly, and they bring me a lot of peace and clarity. I just wanted to reach out to you to let you know because I have the utmost respect and admiration for you, my friend. It has been a rocky couple of weeks, but Jesus has wrapped me in his embrace and is showing me the way. Jesus has wrapped me in his embrace and is showing me the way. Here's a young man that's found Jesus at Bayshore. The Holy Spirit's come into his heart, come into his life. And he's living in a Corinthian culture that's going in a totally different way than he knows he's supposed to go in. And this young man has embraced Jesus and his lordship in such a way that he's saying, even if it costs me that which I love the most, even if it's complicated and difficult and hard, I will not abandon Christ as my Lord. And I will not make a disconnect from what I do in church and how I live during the week. Because Christ has called us, Christ has called us to walk in righteousness and obedience. And Paul said, he said, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. We don't have false security in our baptism or a communion. That that's just sort of an isolated thing that has nothing to do with our daily life. But we know that there's no temptation in culture that we face that the Lord cannot give us the capacity to overcome and be victorious over. Would you lift your hands with me right now and let the Holy Spirit minister to you as you start a brand new week. You're leaving, going into a brand new week, and you're called by the Lord to live in righteousness and holiness in this culture. You're surrounded by Corinthians everywhere, but you're called to be a light in darkness and to live righteously. Lord, we pray for anybody here this morning that needs to receive you. We pray for anybody watching online that's not a Christ follower. We pray that they will repent of their sins and they'll come to complete trust in you and they'll follow you in righteousness. We thank you for this great church in Rehoboth. Lord, we're in our own Corinth in its own right. And we have been called by God in this church not to blend and be just like the culture, but to be distinctively different so that people can see there is a better way. There's a better way. I pray that you empower this church with the Holy Spirit, empower Barry, empower all the volunteers, empower Joel as he comes back to preach next week. Let this church be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to change this city. 
And we thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Love you guys. Appreciate you. So good to be with you today. Love you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.